So welcome to another episode of The Intellectuals. Now, we have an interesting guest today, and uh, I'll introduce him here shortly. But first, I want to thank CD Media for graciously providing a platform for these important conversations. I also want to thank, for the first time, to make sure he gets some recognition, our producer for these programs, retired Navy Captain Brent Ramsey. I'm your host. Uh, my name is Ron Scott. I am a co-founder and a vice president for Stand Together Against Racism and Radicalism in the Services, Inc. It's a nonprofit. You can learn more about us. We're a new organization. Uh, our website is www.stars.us, stars with two R's.us. Our guest today is a friend of STARS and our leaders. Uh, we've worked very closely in the past comparing notes and basically trying to understand the issue that confronts us today in America. And it is an existential issue. Our guest today is Matthew Lohmeyer. Matt is a Newsmax TV contributor and author of the best-selling book, Irresistible Revolution, Marxism's Goal of Conquest and the Unmaking of the American Military. And if you haven't had a chance to read it, I highly recommend you order one and read it. It is very well developed and presented. Uh, his book, Irresistible Revolution, was published in May of 2021, at which time Matt was a respected active duty commander in the newly formed U.S. Space Force. For publishing and speaking about his book, then Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer was relieved of command and subjected to an inspector general investigation launched from the Pentagon. He subsequently joined the nation's biggest media personalities to discuss the proliferation of Marxist-rooted critical race theory in the military and its divisive impact on the force and mission. Matt separated from active duty on September 1, 2021, after 15 years of service without any benefits, and is now a highly sought public speaker and private consultant. A 2006 graduate of the United States Air Force Academy, 33 years after I graduated, Matt. <laughs> Matt began his active duty military career as a pilot, flying over 1,200 hours in the T-38 as an instructor pilot, followed by flying the F-15C, which for our viewers is our nation's premier weapon system platform. It provides air superiority when we go into war. After flying, Matt cross-trained into space operations and gained expertise in space-based missile warning. Matt was promoted two years below the zone, graduated at the top of his classes, earning him the Distinguished Graduate Award at four different Air Force schools, and served as an aide-de-camp for a four-star general for one year. In October 2020, he transferred into the United States Space Force and was placed in, in command of a space-based missile warning squadron in Colorado. And this is where Matt began his uh, journey in identifying a, a dangerous threat to our nation and having the courage to do something about it. Matt has two master's degrees, a master's in military operational art and science and a master of philosophy in military strategy from the prestigious School of Advanced Air and Space Studies. Normally the top 1% get selected for this program. Considered by many of de the Department of Defense's premier strategy school, he lives with his wife and children in Idaho. Matt, welcome to the Intellectuals. 
Thanks, Ron. I'm happy to be here uh, with a good friend. Thank you. Let's get started. It's been an eventful, even traumatic couple of years for you and your family, Matt. As you reflect back on your extremely challenging recent past, what would you like to say about that? And what lessons have you drawn from that experience? And in particular, I want you to touch upon once you started observing some serious uh, events taking place and its implications, how you worked that through the chain of command, how that led to an inspector general complaint and so forth. Well, good. There's a lot to unpack there. Uh, frankly, we could do a whole show about all of that. <clears throat> I, I want to first say that I'm, uh, you know, it was through CD media uh, that I first learned of uh, a group of individuals who are trying to do something similar to what I was trying to accomplish. Uh, you and General Bishop and some others that had not yet become stars, uh, but had filed an inspector general's complaint uh, with the Department of the Air Force. And I had learned about that because my dad had forwarded me uh, an article that that CD Media had put together. And that was sent to me at the time that I was writing my book. And so I'll say up front, I'm, I'm grateful for the work that CD Media is doing. And thanks to CD Media and to STARS uh, for your support. You know, I've spent a great deal of time consulting. Um, I do that sometimes many hours a day. Uh, it's not something for which I'm necessarily paid, but I'm offering myself to our current service members who still reach out to me every week ever since they've seen news articles that I had been fired or relieved of my command last May. And ever since I've separated on the 1st of September and been speaking around the country, these people reach out to me still to explain to me what it is that they're facing still uh, in the service. And then they ask for my input. And they also ask me a similar question to what you've asked. And it's basically, what is it that I have learned in this process, uh, taking a stand or trying to speak up against what I see as uh, maybe immoral or unethical, inappropriate, uh, and wrong about our approach. And uh, one of the first things that often comes to my mind, and so I guess I'll start with that here today, is that I don't have any regrets when I, when, when someone acts consistent with their beliefs or their values, they don't regret their behavior or their, their speech. And so given the tumultuous at least year, if not more, as you've indicated, I don't regret having done what I've done. And I want to say that up front. Um, I sleep well at night, at least knowing that I've acted consistent with uh, what I believe to be our founding values as Americans and my obligation as a service member who took an oath to support and defend the Constitution. And so having said that, what is it exactly that I had tried to accomplish or what is it that I was doing? Um, when I came into command uh, in I showed up at my base in Colorado, uh, what's, which is now a Space Force base, in June of 2020. And before taking command in July of 2020, I had recognized um, an aggressive critical social justice push from even senior leaders at the base. And I recognized also that our, our young service members who not only were being exposed to some of that in their social media platforms, for example, but they were further being encouraged to parrot some of what they were seeing there because they were watching that kind of behavior or speech come from senior military leaders. And 
I recognized that as a problem and I, I thought about it. I didn't necessarily say anything up front, but I watched very carefully. Uh, this was all in the aftermath, of, of course, of the death of George Floyd. And we saw a bunch of this kind of activism that was highly political in nature sweeping across the country. It was only kind of natural consequence that you'd see that seeping out into or sweeping across our, our military as well. But senior military leaders had an opportunity, I think, to maybe quell the politicization of our armed forces. And instead, they almost dumped fuel on the fire, it seemed to me. And um, so as I watched that, and there's very specific examples I could give and that I share in my book, um, I first began to mention those concerns that I was having and the impact that that was having on our service members to my chain of command. That was kind of the first step as anyone that served uh, active duty or in our military would, would understand that's kind of what you do. You tee up your concerns to uh, your chain of command. Uh, I did that in a soft or kindly kind of a way and just mentioned things that I was seeing both with the 06 that I worked for uh, as well as uh, on up the chain of command to include uh, General Jay Raymond, who's the chief of space operations now for the Space Force. Um, having been his aide-de-camp, I had decided, you know, I'm going to reach out to him and let him know what exactly it is that I'm seeing at the ground level that gives me cause for concern. Uh, and I'll tell you, every time I shared these concerns, our senior leaders thanked me for sharing the concerns and said this has got to stop or something to that effect. But of course, as you're aware, and we see now, even they seem potentially to have little power to change the flow of events. And so I shared my concerns there. I too filed a formal inspector general's uh, office complaint in the fall of 2020. Uh, and uh, about that time, or it was just before I had filed that complaint, President Trump had uh, issued an executive order banning the use of uh, critical race theory vocabulary in federal agencies and in our military in the form of our diversity, equity, and inclusion trainings. And um, there was a great sigh of relief, I think, that was breathed for all of our service members. But at my base, the activism continued, so I filed a formal complaint. And I'm getting to, I'm fast forwarding now a bit through time, but you get through the election season, tumultuous November, December, January, January 6th happened. And I ended up receiving a written response uh, from the three star in my chain of command who had fielded my IG complaint. And uh, he dismissed that complaint um, uh, at that time. And then I proceeded to uh, finish writing a book that I had begun just two months earlier about the time I filed the, the IG complaint and published it in May, like you'd said, and I was fired the next week. Um, I was fired for allegedly being politically partisan, uh, which I still to this day consider unfortunate given my whole aim initially was to try to eliminate the politicization of our military units by those who are interested in pushing a politicized narrative of American history and current events. And um, so I guess you, you can be labeled politically partisan hack or something like that, if you decide you want to speak, speak up, share that uh, what you're hearing is, is against your values or views and say that you don't agree with it, that's to label yourself, apparently. So that that kind of is what unfolded during the course of one year in command. I'll tell you, I've had 
service members reach out to me, I presume of both political persuasions. In fact, one who clearly told me he uh, has learned that he disagrees with my political worldview said he never realized what those views were when I was in command and that he was always grateful for my leadership as a commander because that simply had no place uh, in a missile warning unit. Uh, we did talk about the Constitution, the Declaration, and things that we swear an oath to support and defend, but it didn't have a political angle to it. And uh, so, yeah, I don't regret having done what I've done. And I think uh, many service members, I know many service members because I hear from them, are grateful that you know there were others that have been willing to speak up, uh, be courageous, uh, as it were, and to try to voice an opposition to what they clearly view as a, a political, uh, politically driven narrative. Well, Matt, Matt, if I can uh, you know, follow up with what you said with a couple of questions, uh, were you, did you alone file that IG complaint? I filed the IG complaint alone uh, after having had a series of conversations with various individuals in my unit and at the base who had expressed to me, uh, many of which were unsolicited by me, and some of which I deliberately, I deliberately had conversations with other commanders, for example, and said, are you noticing this in your unit? I deliberately went and sat down with some friends that I had in the base headquarters building who are government civilians. And I said, what do you tell me what you're seeing up here? And is it concerning to you? Uh, and in every, at every turn, uh, people were expressing their concern or fear or um, uh, in some cases for our service members, a loss of a desire to serve in the military anymore because of how political things were getting. And so I took it upon myself to file that complaint. Uh, I listed, I think it was some 24 witnesses uh, on, that on that complaint to the inspector general's office, none of whom ended up being interviewed as I understand it. Uh, they took three months to quote unquote investigate uh, my complaint, but that, that investigation didn't involve any investigating. Uh, so and so they they volunteered to be listed as witnesses on the complaint. In other words, they they in, they enjoined that complaint. So. No, 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 I'll clarify that. I did it unbeknownst to them. Uh, in fact, many people I didn't tell I was going to file a complaint. Um, okay. And I and I listed people as witnesses, not just who I thought would agree with me. I listed people with whom I had had conversations who were buying into and and perpetuating uh, the kind of political radicalism that I was seeing play out. Um, people who were leading book clubs, for example, I listed them as a witness, um, unbeknownst to them. And I listed others who were expressing concern to me as witnesses. And I wanted to do that without causing any extra um, either fear, there was a climate of fear that was being uh, produced, but also distraction or agitation more than we were already experiencing. Uh, and so I figured maybe one day they'll get a phone call from an IG investigator saying they received an IG complaint and I'd like to sit down and chat with you. Apparently, none of them received that call or email. Yep. So, yeah, that was stuff that I did of my own volition without bringing others into uh, that decision. But still, in good faith and ethically, you informed the inspector general that there were other individuals that were uh, cognizant of what was happening, whether they were pro or not, uh, so that the inspector general could have a comprehensive uh, evaluation on the merits of the, of the complaint. And yep. so the fact that 
that didn't happen to your knowledge uh, makes it appear that uh, that uh, your case was not really very well, thoroughly evaluated or that it, it didn't benefit from a, a more objective um, review of, of the circumstances. I'll tell you, based on what I've, you know, I've never shared publicly. I, I could any day and I don't plan to, but I've never shared publicly uh, the contents of that IG complaint. I likewise never shared publicly the contents of a letter, six page letter, I think it was, that I wrote to then acting secretary of the Air Force, John Roth, at the time I requested an early retirement, which was denied. There's information that I included in there, which I assert was uh, examples of illegal discrimination that was occurring unethical behavior that undermine good order and discipline and the morale of our armed forces. And even without investigation, reading what I was putting in quotation marks based on conversations or from training videos that were being sent out, uh, anyone who fielded that complaint, and in this case, it was um, Lieutenant General Stephen Whiting, uh, could have looked at that and said, okay, we've got a serious cause for concern here that we have to dig into because if what I'm reading here is true, and it was all true, there was no hyperbole, no exaggeration, uh, then we've got a serious investigation that needs to get underway to determine if someone needs to be fired. I mean, it was that, it was really bad. And I'm not vindictive. I mean, I, if I was, the stuff would have been public already. Uh, it was never for me about hurting someone's career. And that, that part actually bothered me a great deal because people work very hard to get to where they're at, uh, including a base commander who I think was terribly off base and inappropriate in what he was saying. I mean, I learned more after filing the complaint and after it was dismissed. I had a government civilian who's high up at the base, uh, who probably prefer I don't mention his position, um, reach out to me and said, I heard you filed a complaint and that it was dismissed. I'd like to share more information with you. And he shared with me private conversations that he and the government civilians at the base were having with this base commander. Uh, it's illegal discrimination. He should have been fired. And and I, I don't say that lightly, but nevertheless, he's been promoted and he remains, uh, you know, if they were interested in holding him or anyone accountable for their activism, they could do that. Uh, they, they really could. So if they're not willing, you know, that's on our, our current military senior leaders. It's hard to produce leaders who have served for 25 years or 30 years. I mean, sure. it's really hard to get to that point. Um, but it seems they're far more, this is an entirely different path, far more yeah. interested or willing to release or purge some individuals from the ranks than they are others. And, uh, you know, I didn't have a shabby record, uh, but they didn't seem to bat an eyelash at the fact that uh, I'm now out the door. You, you were collateral damage in a political movement. And your right. restraint on keeping private material you just discussed demonstrates the fact that you did not want to be part and parcel to collateral damage to other individuals, uh, which speaks highly of your integrity, Matt. Uh, now, you, you also mentioned earlier that when you worked this issue up through the chain of command, that you perceived that they lacked the power to do anything about it. Can you right. elaborate on that? Now, some might disagree with this uh, to some degree or another. But what I'll say is, you know, no, no matter what rank you wear on your shoulder, um, you have a boss, too. <laughs> and <clears throat> I'll tell you, I don't know if I've ever said this publicly. I'll say it with all respect. But um, General Jay Raymond, the commander of the Space Force, who I respect a great deal, 
uh, and who I love as a person, <clears throat> uh, shared with me on the phone uh, that he is going to have a conversation with his peers, that is the Joint Chiefs, about my phone conversation with him about the radicalism and the racism or what we sometimes have called reverse racism that was occurring at my base and discuss uh, that with his peers so that we could see if there's any way to provide some relief to our service members who continue to face an increasingly politicized work environment. Uh, I've never shared publicly that he promised to do that, but I trusted that he would. But my, here's my, but the reason I bring it up is this, even if he was willing to bring that up among peers, let's say there's a table of four stars and some others in the room, uh, likely also in the room might have been uh, the vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs or the chairman of the Joint Chiefs or the Secretary of Defense. They all work for these people. And then there's a chain above that, you know, as we understand. And so depending on the policy that's being established at any given time during any given administration, that can drive culture and it can drive the attitudes of our service chiefs and how they choose to attack or not attack certain issues. And so, for example, on day one of the Biden administration, when when the president, by executive order, eliminated an executive order of the former president, President Trump, that he had written on September 22nd. So what are the service chiefs then to do? Well, they, they should do something. They should try and do something. But here's the point. They all have different views about this, or some of them have very strong views on the one side and some on the other. And the kind of polarization you see in broader American society uh, is, is something that unfortunately seems to have plagued our senior military leaders. Uh, that's a problem uh, because, you know, we're, we're talking about things here that we need to get into identity politics, um, race discussions on race. Uh, when you get into America's history or our values and those kinds of things, um, to let politics start to drive those narratives and to allow politics to then divide our senior military leaders that that is not transparent to the service members that work under them they all start to watch this play out in the news before the house armed services committee before the senate armed services committee and uh, you know they said they lost their trust and confidence in me because of something i'd written well saying that alone because i was a political actor saying that alone starts to cause service members to squint their eyes and look very carefully at what the senior leaders are doing and say, hang on a sec, you can't say you're losing trust and confidence in someone for saying uh, our workplace is being politicized because you guys are the ones politicizing it. And so they start to wonder, well, should I have trust and confidence uh, in you as our senior leaders? They're, they're up against a hard, they're in a hard spot right now. And frankly, it's not entirely without their, without their own their own statements and uh, actions have, have created this hard spot to some degree, but so is the, the Biden administration's current policies and Secretary of Defense Floyd Austin. I mean. Well, uh, Matt, which, which really begs a question. I mean, this was happening before a presidential election where right. there was a turnover of one political party to another one in the White House. Uh, but this was being driven it, not from the Trump administration, because as you mentioned, he had issued an executive order to cease and desist this type of training. So where do you think the center of gravity was in this effort? Well, there's a, there's a phrase I have in my book later on in the book, and it's, you know, how did this happen or when did it happen? Those are hard questions to answer simply, but it happened gradually and then suddenly. 
uh, for a long time in academia and elsewhere in American society, that the seeds of Marxism have been have been planted. Uh, the soil wasn't yet ready to receive them, but by and by, uh, you get the conditions just right in society, and they start to sprout up like weeds all over the place. And our American military, to include the leaders that were educated in the American university, uh, are, is no exception to the broader uh, cultural phenomenon that is sweeping across our country or Western civilization generally. Uh, but the center of gravity seems to me is like you said, it, the Trump administration learned about what was taking place in the federal agencies and in our military. And then it, it, it sought to take action to put an end to this kind of political radicalization that was occurring. And it was successful to some degree throughout the services, I think, at least sending a message that, that kind of thing wasn't welcome. But before he did that, there were videos coming out of, uh, I can speak for the Air Force specifically. As a Space Force officer, I was in the Department of the Air Force. Uh, the Chief of Staff of the Air Force, General Goldfink, who, another guy who I respected a great deal, and his, the Chief Master Sergeant of, of the Air Force, Khalith Wright, uh, had released official videos in uniform, uh, some of which were talking points that were just clearly political in nature. I mean, when the chief master sergeant of the Air Force says that, and then the future chief of staff too, by the way, General Brown has done the same thing, saying, you know, I am George Floyd, uh, or, uh, if, you know, if you're like me, based on your, your black skin color, you maybe are afraid every time you see uh, police lights come on because you might be the next George Floyd. Terrible message to send to your service members, and frankly, not all of them agree with you, even if they do share your skin color. Uh, but it, but it starts to divide. Um, so, oh, one of the other things that Chief Wright had said was, "I'm a black man first. I'm a service member second. Uh, that kind of thinking is antithetical to what we train our service members to believe in when they join up in uniform. Didn't matter your economic background. Didn't matter your race. Didn't matter if you got." Two parents are one at home, you know, whatever your background is, your education, you don the same uniform, uh, you have the same mission and you're united and you put all that aside and people love one another because they work together on the same mission. You lose that rapidly when senior leaders make statements like those that we saw come out of the Department of the Air Force. And I'll tell you, I heard rumblings throughout the command force at the 05 level people saying that that was starting to wreak havoc within their own units. They heard rum grumblings and rumblings and retweets and some activism started to bubble up. And so uh, none of that would have been possible at the lower levels of our military if it had not been for senior leaders who enabled it, in my view. That's that's my view. And I've talked with others that believe that as well. Well, it, it's going to be very difficult for us to pin the tail on the donkey. Right. Uh, <laughs> so this is a, it's a movement that, is loosely coupled uh, in a way. But I don't know if you're aware of it, but in 1958, a, a black gentleman by the name of Manning Johnson oh, yeah. wrote a book called Color, Com Communism, and Common Sense. You know, I, I, I bought the, the book before I realized I could read the whole thing online <laughs> at his website, manningjohnson.org. Uh, it's just a short little booklet, little pamphlet, uh, but the message was very, very ominous. He talked about how he'd been recruited to be a member of the American Communist Party. And they could care less about him. 
or blacks in general, but they knew racism had the potential to be a divisive wedge that would allow communism then to come in, exploit the oppressor oppressed mentality. Right. 1958 on the eve of the sixties, as we, as we recall, uh, John F. Kennedy was assassinated. His brother was assassinated. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. It was a time of, of political upheaval in America. And a lot of people weren't born then. <laughs> you, you were still, right. you know, just a glint in your, your father's eye. <laughs> uh, but so we've been through this. I mean, conditions really were established decades ago. And then, of course, I'm a Cold War warrior, so my 30-plus years in service was mostly in defense against the threat of the Soviet threat, but more so the communist threat. You know, we won Vietnam because of communism. Uh, you know, North Korea is a threat because of communism. And today, probably the, the biggest bear in the room is China. Uh, and right. China's got thumbprints, fingerprints on a lot of things that are happening in America right now. And, and we could, you know, have another two or three sessions on COVID right. uh, and, a, and uh, circumstances surrounding that. But uh, there was there's a gentleman by the name of John Vactel. He's head of the Communist Party USA. In fact, for our viewers, you know, without fear of being tracked by the FBI now because you visit their website, it's www.cpusa.org. Yes, .org means that they're registered as a 501c3 nonprofit, nonpartisan organization. <laughs> uh, Bachtel took personal credit, he and the Communist Party throughout the United States, based on their 53,000 model. That's 50 states, 3,000 communist cells, which relate very roughly to the 3,000 plus counties that we have. Uh, across the nation, and that they were successful in turning the House and the Senate over in 2018 based on their 53,000 model, right. i.e. get out the votes. And we're talking millions of votes. Right. I mean, that, that he personally took credit for, seven, five million votes. Uh, and he published it in an article on their website. Uh, and so this stuff is happening. Black Lives Matter organization, Mike Gonzalez's book on BLM, talks mm -hmm. about how they affiliated with 150 other organizations, 150, 150. So it, it's, you know, it's, it's very hard, as we mentioned, to pin the tail on the donkey. There, right. There's no single puppet master here, but the ideology is the puppet master. And so many people have bought into it. it it's just unbelievable. So your, what are your thoughts on how do we how do yeah. we awaken people to the, the dangers of, of this ideology? It's a tough problem. Education matters a great deal. And, uh, you know, the Black Lives Matter at School organization is what it's called. Black Lives BLM at School ha has put Black Lives Matter content that's Marxist in nature into the, the hands of school children. And over, I, I can't remember the number now, but at the time I wrote my book nearly a year ago, we're talking thousands of schools across the country were disseminating pamphlets that were put together by uh, the Zen Education Project, Howard Zen, uh, Howard Zen, um, Zen, Zen, Zen. Yeah, Z-I-N-N. -N. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, 
thinking of Zen Buddhism, wrong, wrong Zen, Zen, yeah. Howard Zen. You mentioned uh, Manning Johnson. If I remember correctly, um, he might have been he might have been um, missionaried, as it were, or solicited by his own preacher. He had a communist pastor who had brought him along and who is a tool of the Communist Party, uh, which which brings up an interesting uh, problem. I mean, no institution, I don't care if they're a private university, um, a religious institution, um, or, or a big corporation, no institution is immune from uh, this kind of idea, this kind of communist ideology that, um, you know, I, I, as I speak around the country, uh, the conservative uh, conferences are, are largely what, who are inviting me to speak, but I have people come up all the time and tell me things after the fact. Like oh, I'm getting really disappointed in my own congregation because I hear some of this woke uh, or Marxist rhetoric seep out into my pastor's sermons or in the language of some of our, our members. So we found a different congregation, for example, or private universities who have every opportunity to stiff arm this kind of stuff, uh, either haven't woken up to the danger yet. And so they're allowing it to proliferate on their university campuses or they're simply enabling it. And so while all of that is going on, you and me have the problem of trying to uh, be a voice of truth in whatever sphere of influence it is that we occupy. And, and some of us have a bigger sphere of influence than others. You know, STARS has thousands of followers uh, and supporters. And so in your sphere of influence, by doing these interviews and things, you're able to reach thousands and then potentially by extension uh, far more. And uh, if you don't have that kind of following, and let's say perhaps your sphere of influence uh, simply is comprised of your own family members, uh, you, I think we've each got an obligation to try to learn the truth and speak the truth about what's happening and to provide a warning voice. If you've been warned, you need to warn your neighbor about the problems we're facing. And everyone's waking up to this, uh, regardless of if they love America, they st they're starting to sense uh, that we're facing a problem at the moment that might serve to be our unmaking. You know, the subtitle of my book is includes the unmaking of the American military, but this is a far greater problem than, than just unmaking uh, a military. This is unmaking of everything you know as American. Amen. And, uh, and so we, we got to, we got to, in a very real way, yeah, uh, I, become active. So I hear you. And I'm going through this right now. It's, it's a uh, standards update for Colorado. And we're talking preschool through the 12th grade. And so I've gone through this and for preschool, well, this is before kindergarten, you're talking what, four-year-old children mm -hmm. and you have two young children. Yeah. I mean, so you're, you're more connected to this part than I am. I have two grown daughters married and children. Um, but here's one of the standards, preschool. Provide opportunities for children to discuss past and future changes affecting families such as immigration, naturalization, sure. marriage, adopting, and cultural and religious rites of passage. Right. Can you imagine your children yeah. being exposed to something like this? Hey, I'm just, yeah, in, yeah, my kids are, are that age. I'm just simply trying to help them learn the alphabet and how to read uh, uplifting, wholesome things. You know, Exactly. I mean, kind of and how to, be, how to be fair and kind right. and share things like that. Here's another one. 
<clears throat> understand similarities and respect differences among people of different cultures within their classroom and community. Understand how differences and diversity can make a community stronger. Mm. Uh, encourage preschoolers to appreciate individual differences by providing diverse materials, uh, <clears throat> including those who are from diverse backgrounds, different from their own, including those with diverse backgrounds and varied abilities. This is at the preschool level. Yeah. I, I haven't even gotten to the 12th grade yet. But How about go out and play on the playground. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So this is the, the priming. And just today, I, mm -hmm. I read an article by Jonathan Turley uh, dealing with the university where one of the professors uh, indicated that there's a difference of opinion on indigenous ownership of lands and whatever. And it was based on Locke's second treatise. Mm -hmm. And so he goes on to say that at the university level, even in the engineering and mathematic de math mathematics departments, they're making sure students realize that all of these are products of white privilege. Right. It's, I mean, the, the extent to which our nation is being indoctrinated, preschool through uh, the high school at the universities, uh, we, have, we have an issue in front of us. And so what are your thoughts? You, 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 you hinted at that earlier, but what do we need to do, Matt, yeah. to fight this? Let me tell you who I had in mind first off. When I wrote this book, I, I was closest to our military service member. Uh, I had young people working for me who I cared about a great deal, who it didn't seem to me fully appreciated or in much of a degree, some of them appreciated at all what it is exactly that they're taking an oath to do. Um, I would often ask people if they said, hey, can you re-up my oath and re-administer the oath of office? I'll say, sure, have you read the Declaration and the Constitution? And I'd ask them if they're willing to do that and come and have a chat with me for a few minutes, then I'll be happy to re-administer the oath. And you'd be surprised. I mean, maybe the American people would be surprised. Some of these people come back and say, geez, like there's a lot in there I've never seen before. Well, they're not very long documents. So if you've not seen them before, it's because you've probably not spent any time with them. And first and foremost, I had in mind helping our service members appreciate the, the value of the greatness of the American ideal. And it's the same thing that Martin Luther King Jr. was, was so adamant about is that we, this idea that the individual has inherent worth uh, and rights, natural rights, and, and that they're endowed with by their creator. And, and if we believe in that ideal, you inherently begin to respect other humans because of who they are as humans and created in the image of God. We get far afield of any of that the moment we start talking about this diversity, equity, and inclusion industry. I mean, because it's all about identity politics, and it seems to have a deliberate abandonment of American founding philosophy and values. And so uh, there are a lot of good active people across the country trying to tackle these problems. But what I've been advocating for people to do is learn the truth and speak the truth. Uh, some people are saying uh, the time for speech is, is, is gone uh, or it's too late to speak. I don't, I don't believe that. Um, you don't want to face the terrible conditions that follow failed speech. Uh, that, that's a terrible world that you, to live in. And so we have to believe in and hope in better things that are available to us through respectful dialogue, uh, 
and uh, hopefully you can influence those for good who are around you. I'm not saying you might save your nation, but uh, it has to begin with free speech. It has to begin with preserving the right to have an intelligent dialogue about this, which is why podcasts like this are so helpful. Um, but here, here's another thing I'm trying to say now. Uh, I've, I've spoken for four months around the country, basically just saying at the end of all of my speeches that learn the truth, speak the truth, and some other things. But that's my advice. Well, it's going to evolve in the months ahead uh, to share with people that you know, the last chapter of my book is another one of the reasons I wrote the book. It's titled The Wrath to Come. Um, it doesn't take a prophet to see that if we pursue the path that we are on as we have been, it's, it's a decline, it's a slope, a slippery slope to destruction, uh, that people are going to have a lot more to do to get themselves prepared for what's coming if we don't abandon this path. And so that's why you have to speak up, one, boldly and courageously. Now that's where our service members have to speak up and, and knock this off within the military alone. But our country uh, is on a collision course with disaster. And history, I won't say history teaches us or history proves anything, but history serves as a warning to us that when you adopt this kind of ideology, it leads to anger, hatred, men's hearts turning cold and violence. And, and so that's what the last chapter of the book is about. I'm going to focus on that in the next four months. And uh, I think some people will recognize the truth of what I'm going to have to say. Others might be uncomfortable and not like it very much because they'll say, well, you're just a, you're just a doomsayer. Look, read, read some history and recognize that we've had it pretty good for the past few decades. Uh, we've lived in a relatively peaceful country in a place of preeminence on the world stage. In no way, in my view, are we guaranteed that forever if we don't get this right. And so, um, you know, what I'm trying to do is, is share that with people so that they can try to be self-propelled or motivated to, to take action in whatever sphere of influence they occupy. And let, let me say, say one more thing. So as an example, now this is more practical because I know that was kind of philosophical, maybe somewhat. There are practical things that people are doing that are actually making a difference. I don't remember the name of the organization, but it's a company that makes nuclear submarines for the U.S. Navy. Uh, there's a, a group of these employees that took collective action, not just an individual stand, but collective action to say, we don't agree with your COVID vaccine mandate. And if you impose this on us, we'll walk. And there goes your ability to produce nuclear submarines for the U.S. Navy. And guess what? The policy changed because they couldn't afford to lose that group of people. I'm in communication right now with a group of pilots, and I can't say how many, but there are far more than you'd imagine, uh, who are all taking a collective stand uh, against what they consider a legal policy against their will and their conscience, uh, many of whom have submitted uh, an accommodation, uh, either religiously or otherwise, for the vaccine mandate. They are putting their foot down. Some of them have been in long enough to retire and others have it and might lose their pension, but they're all facing separation. There's many, many, many of them. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if your viewer is going to hear about this in the news cycle the next week. Uh, so pay attention to the biggest media personalities. You'll probably hear the story, but they're saying, if you push us out, you'll face an act, you'll face a critical manning shortage in critical career fields that will absolutely cri cripple the force. We're talking the nuclear enterprise. We're talking instructor pilot pipeline. And so that is an example of how collective action has a greater impact than individual action. 
Uh, they've banded together across all branch branches of the military in all units and they're going to make it they're going to make a wave and uh, the american people haven't heard about them yet but they will well that, that's good to hear matt and i'll, I'll tell you <clears throat> i don't want you to get a swelled head but i put you in the same category as billy mitchell mm. now billy mitchell dealt with a practical problem and that's weaponizing technology we're dealing with a far more difficult one where we've weaponized ideology right. and and you are a voice of reason right now in helping us to understand the nature of the enemy and that there are things that we can do to fight it. And you just explained some of those. So uh, how can our viewers learn more about Matt Lohmeyer, what you are doing and ways that they can support the effort? Sure. Well, I'll say first, I didn't get court-martialed like Billy Mitchell. Um, <laughs> didn't, didn't quite get to that point, but um, <clears throat> they can go to MatthewLohmeyer.com. Uh, Lohmeyer spelled L-O-H-M-E-I-E-R. In fact, I think it's on the screen here. Uh, MatthewLohmeyer.com uh, has uh, more information about what I'm trying to do. In fact, I just put up yesterday an announcement and a new tab on there that I'll be starting a podcast uh, here soon. Um, I've got a media team that's helping me set that up and uh, some sponsors that are going to help this get off the ground. And I hope to interview some of these DOD pilots here shortly and uh, share some breaking news as I get it from our service members. Uh, and if I, of course, um, I'm, I'm, of course, interested, like tens of millions of Americans in trying to preserve our republic. And uh, we, we can't, you can't do this alone, although alone, each of us has to try and collectively, we're, we're going to make a great impact. But um, we've got We've got an uphill battle we're fighting because everything's on the slide downhill. So yeah, MatthewLohmeyer.com is where people can go to learn more, and I'll be posting more information there with time. Great. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for joining us for the conversation. Yep. Thanks, Ron. All right. Take care.